I'm speaking with Tanika Johnson. Tanika is a photographer, social justice artist, and lifelong resident of Chicago's Southside neighborhood of Englewood. She is also co-founder of the Englewood Arts Collective and resident association of Greater Englewood, which seek to reframe the narrative of Southside communities and mobilize people and resources for positive change. Tanika's art often explores urban segregation, documenting the nuance and richness of the Black community to counter media depictions of Chicago's violence. Her folded map project visually connects residents who live at corresponding addresses on the north and south sides of Chicago. She investigates what urban segregation looks like and how it impacts Chicago residents. So what was your experience of growing up in Englewood like? I had a beautiful childhood growing up in Inglewood. I actually didn't really know that people thought my neighborhood was bad until I started going to high school and regularly telling people where I lived and, you know, just seeing people's reactions. And that kind of continued when I was in college. But I grew up in the building that my grandmother purchased when she migrated from down south and came to Chicago. She saved her money for seven years to purchase the building that I would grow up in. And the block that I lived on was really a close-knit block. To help people understand how close it was, I, I tell people this, <laughs> this story. My first best friend in life, his name is Raymond. His mom used to bully my mom. <laughs> so that's how long people have known each other on the block that I grew up on. And another example, my, my grandmother's best friend lived next door. I grew up with her best friend's grandchildren. I played outside every day. I mean, I just had a really typical kind of childhood. And that perception of my neighborhood was, was burst when I started having to go outside of my neighborhood for school as I got older and realizing, oh, okay, people are scared of my neighborhood. Okay, that's interesting. So I would always go to the corner store with my friends. We had a candy lady on our block that we would buy candy from. My uncles would pick me up from school. They're more like my brothers because we're kind of close in age. They're six and 10 years older than me. Their friends used to come to our house and I knew all of my uncle's friends. They would, if they saw me out on the bus or whatever, they would always check on me. Like it was just, I loved growing up on my block. How did that experience of having that close-knit connection shape you as an adult, do you think? Yeah, it provided me with a perspective and connection to Inglewood that a lot of people, you don't typically hear those stories. So a lot of people think it doesn't exist in greater Inglewood. And that isn't true. There's a lot of people who share the kind of history or childhood in greater Inglewood that I have, but you don't hear those stories. So it really, having that safe upbringing provided me with a different perspective on a neighborhood that as an adult, I would come to learn was struggling with a lot of systemic issues. And so I was able to kind of use that history 
my memories, my childhood, and compare it to what was being told about my neighborhood in the media, what other people thought. And so just having that, my childhood as a reference point enabled me to question that difference between, okay, my reality and the perception at an early age, then I probably would have started thinking about these issues if I had not grown up there. So when I was in high school, I started having these questions about like, why do people think this about my neighborhood? And it continuing to kind of like create other observations and questions that I would become passionate about as an adult. But it really just stems from the happiness of my childhood and me wanting to understand the difference between how people, the larger public perceives it against my reality. And so I would say that looking back is one of the central aspects of how my childhood kind of influenced me as an adult. On top of the fact that me going out of my neighborhood to access a lot of stuff that I was interested in from arts classes to school. That was also a reference point for me as well when I started to learn about issues that my neighborhood struggles with. And it made sense to me after learning those things. Oh, that's why I was not able to go to school in my neighborhood or or why my mother chose. That's why I always had to go out of my neighborhood to access specific after-school curricular activities. And it just started to, the more I learned, it just started to make sense how, the more I learned about like uh, Chicago, demographics, and eventually like the history of Chicago segregation, it started to make sense how it influenced my life. And so having that as a reference point really help propel some of my opinions and thoughts that will ultimately inform the projects that I do. How do you reconcile those two aspects of Chicago? On one hand, the segregation and the challenges that neighborhoods like Englewood face because of systemic racism, with, on the other hand, all of the good things that are happening and the positive things in those neighborhoods? Yeah. Well, I think that's like the whole challenge of of life. There is not just one side to a person, a story, a fact. There's, it's a lot of gray area. And so how I've reconciled it is constantly, constantly wanting to know the why. Like, why are things this way? Why do people feel this way? And and trying to search for those answers. And then in discovering historical facts that contribute to present day issues, then I can possibly help contribute to people expanding their understanding or or using my projects as a tool to advance, whether it's initiatives or policies that could improve the conditions of not only the neighborhood I grew up in, but neighborhoods like it in Chicago overall. So I just kind of reconcile it as like a long process. It took a long time for Chicago to have the issues of inequity that it has. It's taken a long time for my neighborhood to end up where it is. 
And so, of course, it's going to take just as long for things to change. However, the period in between all of that is really important, which is, you know, people becoming aware of the truth, the full breath of life that's not only in Chicago, but in neighborhoods like Inglewood, and the understanding of how stereotypes and misperceptions about a neighborhood based off of one damage-centered point of view, how that really does perpetuate systemic racism and segregation, and how that ultimately affects all of us. I take pride in, in helping people understand how it's not just the neighborhoods that are most negatively impacted or the people within it by systemic segregation. We are all impacted. It just looks different for each demographic. The predominantly white population in Chicago, they're impacted by segregation. You know, they're disconnected from a whole nother side of the city and not necessarily because if it's a choice of their own. They've been programmed to think a particular way, which removes the opportunity for them to just have a better understanding about the city, for them to meet people who they might have a lot in common with and just have fun with, people who can contribute significantly to stuff that they're passionate about. And that's something we're all impacted by because every sector knows that at the end of the day, it's your network, the expansion of your social network that really can contribute to, to just a better fulfilled life and advancing important issues. And I just refuse for people to ignore that important fact about addressing all of these systemic issues is bringing it back down to the simplicity of, yeah, you can't create change in movements without people connecting. The civil rights movement didn't just happen because black people forced change. Black people were able to have allies and create solidarities with other people who supported what they were fighting for. And it was a multiracial movement. So I just really want people to, to be able to break down systemic issues into their personal, how it impacts their personal lives and how changing certain aspects or ways of thinking about their personal life to disrupt segregation can really help advance improving these issues. It doesn't always have to be just protest or policies because we've had all of that and we're still not there. So I feel like the missing ingredient is just the connection, like actually meeting people, actually talking to people, discussing how different lives are in the same city, discussing commonalities and similarities, because that's another way that segregation impacts us all. It forces us to minimize the many ways in which we're similar. And oftentimes that comes through and we're similar in what we want. And if we're similar in what we want and there's a disparity and who has access to what they want, then sometimes that's a bit more disarming and makes it easier to have a conversation than trying to blame one side of the city. Like, you know, we can come together to redirect our blame towards our local government, putting pressure on them through public conversations and ultimately maybe who you vote or where you even decide to live or the school that you decide to advocate for. All of those things can happen when you understand that improving one neighborhood or two neighborhoods or all neighborhoods in Chicago is better for all of us. Like, why wouldn't we want our city to have 
several neighborhoods that are destination places? Why wouldn't we want to have more options where we could live in this city? The truth of the matter is the North side is over-resourced. And as a result, it's going to be overcrowded <laughs> and the city should create more options for people to want to live. And understanding that segregation takes away so many opportunities to live, to socialize from all of us. And that's the problem. And, you know, it's just at the point where it actually makes sense, even in a capitalistic point of view, it makes sense to invest in all your neighborhoods <laughs> equitably. Like, why would you want 60% of your city to not be invested in the same way as 40%? Why wouldn't you want more homeowners all over Chicago paying taxes? <laughs> why wouldn't you want more businesses on the South side so you can have more consumers so the city can make money off of that? Like, it's actually profitable just to be fair. So when you think that way, it's like, well, what's preventing it then? And that's when you can focus on, okay, it's racism. And if racism doesn't reflect how we want to interact, then we need to come together, start learning to have these difficult conversations so we can advocate for each other and understand that fighting for the equity of one group does not exclude others. Other people will benefit when you help support one group obtain what they should have. It's just like the civil rights movement. That was a movement spearheaded and mobilized by Black people, but every other person benefits from civil rights. Other marginalized groups benefit. So helping support one group's cause will ultimately help all of us. What has the Folded Map Project been able to do in terms of helping to build those connections? Well, it explicitly has contributed to building connections by actually doing that. It's an art project. And I love reminding people of that because people are often like, what do you hope your project to accomplish? I was like, <laughs> I'm like, well, the fact that you are even asking that is a result of the project. It gets people thinking of action, of what can be done. And to me, that right there is the goal of the project is just to expand how you think of these issues. And if you are inspired to ask the question of what can we do, then that's the goal right there. But Folded Map actually brings people together who live on the same street, but 15 miles apart in these racially and economically different neighborhoods, brings them together to have just a conversation. And outside of bringing the participants of the project together and recording them meeting and talking, the larger public who engage with the project, they're able to view it like social justice reality TV. They're able to like observe how awkward, enlightening these conversations are. And if they choose to engage in it or incorporate this experience into their own life by visiting a racially and economically different neighborhood, then they at least have a, a reference point or a model of what would make conversations awkward and using that as like a test to, or a practice to formulate how you would answer or what you think about these things. Because segregation is so severe in Chicago that just even asking somebody, oh, where do you live? That can become awkward <laughs> because in Chicago, 
when we talk about neighborhoods and locations, we're really talking about people. And so that's why we need to just have a reference to what makes these conversations awkward and how to push through it. So being able to share the project with the larger public is also kind of bringing people together. I've been able to have events and host presentations where people can talk about this, where people have met each other from other neighborhoods that they might not have otherwise. Folded Map Project, I had it exhibited at a store in Inglewood called Inglewood Branded. And so many people who had never been to Inglewood came to Inglewood to see the project at this store. And that was a first for a lot of them. But now they're able to say, oh, okay, this project invited me to come to Inglewood because otherwise, why would they even come? They don't know anybody because of segregation. They don't know what's going on in the neighborhood. So the project exhibition was an invitation. And now they know about a store that's there and they were able to like purchase some cool shirts and sweatshirts. So now they have a reference that they can carry with them in future conversations if they hear people talk or if they decide, but people talk about a neighborhood like Inglewood and maybe say something derogatory, they're now equipped to push back in a way that they wouldn't have been before. And it's those kinds of conversations that are really necessary. That's what being an ally is. That's what being an advocate for your city looks like is pushing back when people say ignorant things, even if it's delicately pushing back, but pushing back questioning people. Okay, how do you know that neighborhood is bad? Okay, have you looked at crime in other neighborhoods? Like, how do you even know about the crime in Inglewood? Are you just using the media as your sole reference point? Do you know about the kinds of crimes in Northside neighborhoods? You know, just pushing back. Do you know the history of Black neighborhoods that are struggling with crime? Do you know how they got that way? Just really pushing back. And that's what I feel Folded Map is able to help do is like arm people with a reference point to have some of those conversations. And to me, that's bringing people together as well. But explicitly, the project literally does bring people together. (laughs) So we just expanded the project in a partnership with the Chicago Bungalow Association and brought some more MAP twins together that we call Bungalow Twins. They were only able to meet virtually, but still they were brought together virtually and and talked about their neighborhoods. They weren't able to visit each other yet, but that's still a step towards showing people how a connection can be made and how we have more similarities and what we want in life than we think. And we shouldn't let racism or segregation prevent us from knowing that. What are some of the ways in which the Folded Map Project has transformed you? Well, I just thought, before I started working on the project, I just thought only my cool social circle, my diverse cool social circle, only they get it. (laughs) And the reason they get it is because We share a lot of the same ways in which we were brought up. We had artistic interests that forced us to discover a lot of Chicago through our friendships with each other. We love to talk about like systemic issues. We love to like dissect these things. So I just thought, okay, only my social circle and social circles that are like it, like get it. And so I created Folded Map to kind of 
prove to people that there is a connection. Like a lot of these reports explain to people the historic connection of systemic racism and segregation and how it impacts us today. But I was like, no, you can totally visualize this. I don't know why people haven't done it. I'm going to visualize it and I'm going to show people and they're going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. And that was how I went into Folded Map. But as I started working on the project, I realized several things. One, I didn't intend to create map twins. That was something that happened in the process of doing the project. So that in and of itself changed me because I really was just going to focus on photographing addresses that were similar. And like, that's enough. That says a lot. (laughs) But then as I was photographing the addresses, I was meeting people and particularly people who were on the North side that I literally assumed and stereotyped that they don't care. They're not going to be interested. They just don't think it's weird or cool. And that's it. But that wasn't true. And I could no longer, I couldn't believe the assumption that I had because I was literally meeting people in predominantly white neighborhoods that was like, oh, no, I've never been to Inglewood. And unfortunately, everything I've heard about it has been on the news. And I wouldn't mind visiting. I just don't know anyone. I would like to help. I just don't know how to help other than voting. Like I was meeting people saying these things. And I was just like, oh, wow, people do care. They just, they don't know how to help other than voting. And so that kind of changed me. It made me start to think more deeply about the personal aspect and how the personal connection to my friends and, and the neighborhoods that they grew up in all over the city how that like expanded my view and understanding and knowledge of the city at an earlier age than most people today in Chicago do. And I realized like, oh, you know, that is important. Like people need to know how they can help. And that's also what segregation prevents us from being able to kind of like do. So how the project changed me is literally embedded in the project itself because it has portraits of the addresses. And then when I started to really think about the personal connections, that's when I created Map Twins. And so that became part of the project. It became the gold of the project. So how the project changed me is literally reflected in the project. And that's actually what has informed the ways in which I've expanded the project as well. I created a contact list when the project was exhibited at Loyola University Museum of Art in 2018, because I was like, well, I know this exhibit is going to end. And like, where is my project going to exist after that? So I created this contact list so I can like stay in touch with people who engage with it. And then, you know, I eventually created the website and that list has grown to like a thousand people. And all of those people left like really touching comments that I always can go back to and read if I feel a little hopeless. So that's a way that the project continues to influence me and change me. And because everyone on that contact list, literally everyone was like, they wanted to participate. They wanted to find their map twin. And I was like, well, I'm not going to be doing map twins for the rest of my life. So what can I do to help people like engage in this experience? And because of those comments and the engagement of people who the project resonates with, it inspired me to create the Folded Map Action Kit. So the project continues to influence me and evolve 
my thinking and my interests. So it's like this little reciprocal type of interaction where yeah, the project in and of itself really has helped evolve a lot of the ways in which I think about our city, art, people connecting, possible solutions, the importance of people coming together. So yeah, it continues to change me. And then it also helps me understand other misperceptions people have about my work, about the city. So it's exposed me to other ways that people could think about my project that I never thought about. Some people think that my project centers white people. <laughs> and it's good for me to know some people think that because then I can begin to like articulate the ways in which it doesn't. And I can be affirmed and how I speak about that. So it's definitely introduced me to what naysayers think about <laughs> my work, which is necessary to evolve, you know, like, okay, I don't have to pay attention to it, but it's good for me to know so I can like speak to it if I choose to. So yeah, it's constantly stretching me, this project. It feels really timely too, both given the political divisions that we're experiencing right now and the ways in which we're starting to reckon with systemic racism and segregation. Yeah, that's one of those, and I hate to use stars aligning with such a critical space that our world, our country, our city is in, but started working on this project actively in 2016, and it was exhibited in 2018. It was starting to get some citywide attention, and then the pandemic happened. So it was just like, oh, wow, the time has like come where a project like Folded Map could really be used to use as a tool for these conversations that we're starting to have about redlining, about policing in Black neighborhoods, about all of the issues. <laughs> and I was just really happy that life had guided me to a point to create the project at the time when I did so that it could be ready and already have a following and already have coverage on it by the time we came to 2020. So yeah, it definitely was timely in that sense. But the issues that it sought to kind of help illuminate differently or help people see in a new way, those issues have always been timely, especially to the communities that were most impacted. And that was kind of the point of my project to amplify the urgency of us as a city really talking about segregation because I just felt we had gotten to a point where we normalized it. Like, yeah, it's just how it is. But when you constantly meet people who are transplants or people who are visiting Chicago and they're like, oh my God, you all are so segregated. Like I have friends that travel. I have friends from other places. And I'm like, you're right. Like we just, we are. But Chicagoans, we just get used to it. I can remember a conversation I had with a friend who lived in LA for a long time. And, and then they came back to Chicago and we were catching up and they were like, oh, you would love Oakland. And I was like, really? <laughs> And they're like, yes, I could totally see you in Oakland. And I was like, it's very diverse. It's like really a lot of eclectic, artsy people. And I, I was like, so what do you mean like diverse? Are they living in the same neighborhood? And she was like, you can't even imagine what that looks like. <laughs> I was like, 
no, I can't. <laughs> she was like, Chicago to mess you up. I was like, it did. Like, I know it can't exist because I had a social network that reflected it, but we've never been able to live in the same neighborhood, like be neighbors with each other. Like we would have given anything like in high school and college, like if we could have just lived in the same neighborhood together that, that was diverse, that reflected like our social network, but we didn't have that. And so it was really hard for me to even imagine what she was talking about. And I was like, that's really sad that I, someone who is advocating for that, <laughs> can't even imagine like logistically how that worked. Like, so what you mean? <laughs> like, do they live in segregated places, but they just hang out? Like, it's diverse entertainment. Like, what? And I was just like, oh God, yeah, that, yeah, let me just. I need to go ahead and do this project because this is crazy. So, yeah. It's interesting as you talk about that because I live in Rogers Park, which is a more diverse community. And so it's fascinating to me when I go to other parts of the city because I think it's become normalized for me to experience that. And so I'm surprised to see that not being the case in other parts of the city so much. Yeah, no, that's true. And what's interesting is Rogers Park is diverse, more diverse than other neighborhoods majority all the neighborhoods in Chicago however what's so interesting is that it's still predominantly white and so it's also interesting for us to even talk about what diversity even looks like what it what it really means because we have Rogers Park as a reference but the reality is it's diverse compared to what us Chicagoans think but it's not like the most diverse (laughs) example of what a diverse neighborhood could and should look like given we have like equal percentage of you know each race in Chicago but it is a wonderful neighborhood to really like think about diversity in Chicago and everything but it is such a wonderful example though because I remember when I first started hanging out in Rogers Park because of my friends who lived there and I was just like this is so cool. You all have a Jamaican bakery. Oh my gosh. You all have like a little Asian community right down the street from an Ethiopian restaurant. Like what? This is so my jam. This is like, (laughs) how did this? So yeah, it is a good case study. But what's also is it's overcrowded and overcrowded meaning like how that contributes to possibly the diversity. Like it has a lot of apartment buildings, more apartment buildings than a lot of like single. Well, I'm just guessing based off of my look, you know, it seems like a real like the pockets that have the apartment buildings, like those are the areas that are like really diverse. Those pockets that have single family homes, are they really, I don't know, but it's a community that can show you how the type of residential infrastructure can encourage or promote diversity. And I think for me, which is why I have like this connection with urban planners that I discovered like, oh yeah. Cause I think about how the built environment influences how we interact with each other and what attracts us to certain places. And so Rogers Park is like a great case study to me more so than the other neighborhood that we always love to say is diverse, which is Hyde Park. It's very clear why that's the way it is. Like it's literally because of the University of Chicago. Like that's there's <laughs> what it is in regards to the investment there. The aspect that makes it such a cool neighborhood is because of the Black neighborhoods 
that residents from those neighborhoods go to High Park to access. And so they have consistently helped make that neighborhood like a little more culturally vibrant. Like it's really a location that has some Black businesses, art businesses, people who are interested in that kind of social dynamic and entertainment. They frequent there. You can go there and see a variety of teenagers hanging out. That's been the case since I was a teenager. So it, the environment of Hyde Park invites a lot of possible diverse interactions. And because it's like nestled in between several predominantly Black neighborhoods, the kind of culture of Black Chicago gets in like fused into Hyde Park, which makes it really interesting as well. But yeah, I mean, unfortunately for those to be the two primary examples of a city that is so diverse, it's ridiculous. It's like laughable. So given all the challenges that the city faced, what gives you hope going forward for Chicago? The fact that because we are so segregated. Not only have we normalized segregation, but we've also normalized the amazing ways in which we disrupt it all the time. Like people would actually think that, oh, Chicago's segregated. So y'all don't interact with each other at all. Like y'all just black people and white people and Latino people and it like, no, actually we do. We we do. We disrupt it a lot. And our city has a sit uh, a history of organizing that is multiracial that doesn't get a lot of attention. I mean, the Rainbow Push Coalition was literally created because of that. Like even as people think as militant as Fred Hampton was, like he was pushing a multiracial like movement. Martin Luther King came here and it was multiracial. Like we disrupt segregation and we come together in solidarity a lot. And I think Chicagoans are in a unique space to offer some innovative ways in which segregation can be disrupted because we've been doing it. It's just, we've been doing it personally. You know, not everyone in the city goes beyond their social network, but a a significant portion of us do. And I think those stories and the ways in which we've done that needs to be elevated more because we don't just need to be known as the city that is the most segregated. We can also be known as a city that is very innovative in ways to disrupt segregation. So that gives me hope. The fact that I know that, the fact that now I can be a representative of Chicago saying, yeah, because we are really segregated, it creates people like me who can come up with a project like the photo map. Like that's not a crazy concept to a Black person my age who was going to high school outside of their Black neighborhood in the 90s. Like we all actually had this kind of thinking of learning our neighborhood looks very different than the neighborhood that we're going to and the streets are the same like that's not a unique thought for me like that's kind of commonplace so there is a significant wealth of knowledge in all of us residents who live in Chicago because how we navigate segregation and so that gives me hope that we can become a city that pushes some of these issues and how to grapple with them, how to influence local government to address these issues. Like, you know, we're we're doing some major things in Chicago. I mean, just the fact that not far from us, small old Evanston, the first in the country to actually have some kind of reparations. Like, 
I don't think that that's by coincidence that a place like Evanston would be the first to like really make it real legally. Like even if people have opinions on it not being effective or it not being done right, it still had to be done. Like in order to, it's not going to set a precedence, but it's definitely going to be an example. And it makes sense. Evanston is deeply segregated, just like Chicago. And these are the advancements that places who have legacy segregation like Chicago, which are most Midwest places, this is how we can contribute to the larger movement of just pushing the needle forward around these systemic issues, because we're the cities that are most impacted by it. So of course, we're going to be coming up with to reimagine a solution or steps towards a solution. So that really gets me hopeful and excited, knowing that anything that we do to combat systemic segregation in our city can really be used and looked at as a model. And I think we need to take pride in the fact that we're the bittersweet part of us being perfectly situated to innovate. So that part really gets gets me excited. Thank you again for taking time out to talk today and hope that the Folded Map Project continues to be a great success. Oh, thank you so much. And your questions were wonderful. I didn't know I was going to have so much to say, but I loved your thoughtful questions. Thank you.